Dr. Oketchukwa Enelama is the chairman of African Capital Alliance and also the former Federal Minister of Industry, Trade and Investment in Nigeria. Dr. Enelama is going to delve into leadership in Africa, the good, the not so good, and what needs to be renewed. Dr. Enelama is joining us from Nigeria over Zoom. All yours, Doc. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited and honored to be invited to speak to such um, um, a distinguished group of people <clears throat> about a subject I'm extremely passionate about, which is you know, the role you know, we can play as Christians and as Christian-led businesses on the African continent. You know, and you can then take this to the next theme, which is also part of this conference, which is the issue of, or the theme of renewal of leadership on the African continent, because we believe that like, we are very keen to build the leaders of tomorrow. You know, and I have prepared my, my speech using um, a presentation, because I thought it would be easier for you to follow what I have to say uh, by, by sharing my, my presentation. And I hope uh, you will follow, come along with me as we go on this journey of discovery together. You know, I, I have divided my, my, my talk today or my speech into five parts. You know, I would like to share my background because I honestly believe that like, um, if, you, if you understand my story, then what I'm saying will make a lot more sense to you because I'm going to be sharing my experience essentially. That's what I'm going to be doing, sharing my experience, although within the themes that we've talked about. Um, I will then go on to talk about the role integrity has to do in God um, honoring businesses or what you might call Christian-led businesses. In other words, what is it that sets us apart? What is it that really differentiates us. I would then like to go even deeper into that by dealing with some of the attributes of godly leadership in business. You know, when we say somebody brings godly or biblical principles to business, what exactly is that? And then I'd like to do, deal with a few case studies that relate to my own experience. And then I'll give us some concluding remarks and a charge to go and do likewise. So um, with that as a background or, 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 or introduction, I'll go into my personal background. Let me start with my personal background. I, I was born into a Christian family. My father was a clergy, a Methodist clergy. My mother was a civil servant. But you know, I was raised in a context where I knew that you know God is real. And I'll, I'll just use one simple example to illustrate that point. You know, I was taught early that God actually answers prayers. And even before I became you know, what you might call a born again Christian in the sense that I accepted the faith myself personally. You know, I already knew God answered prayers from just my family background. But that wasn't all. I also grew up in a large family where we learned to share, you know. Um, I had, I have eight surviving siblings, for instance. You know, and some of the things that taught us were, you know, an appreciation for education. My father believed that education was the key, you know, to, to, to moving forward because of that whole coming from a background where, you know, the missionaries brought education and they were all first generation uh, when it came to education. So they, want, they wanted to continue that legacy. And then they, there was also a lot of confidence building, just making you understand that you can, you can be anything in life. It was in some respects almost prophetic, just the views that our parents held. And then finally, and I would say most importantly, was a commitment to community, you know, to the idea that like, you know, you have to be part of helping the society to succeed, to move forward. So that's, that's what I will share on my personal background. And then with that, I would like to talk a bit about my educational background, having talked about the importance of education. You know, I, I had the privilege of going to, you know, schools that were, 
were, were, were, were, were important landmark schools in, in my country. You know, I went to government college, Omaha, which was a school that was set up by the colonial people way back in the day, but it trained a lot of leaders. So they, they already infused on us, in us all the way from secondary school, the importance of leadership and what you might call the responsibilities of leadership. I then went from there to University of Nigeria and Soka, which was again one of the you know, early universities that were built post-independence, right? And 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 achieved you know prominence in Nigeria. Um, incidentally, I studied medicine there, but I'll, I'll come back to my professional background. And then I got my international exposure, as it were, in the you know so-called famous Harvard Business School where I did my MBA, you know, in the 90s. But I'll, I, and the reason I mentioned these things, I'll refer to them as I go on with my presentation. I'll connect the dots, as I say. You know, so please, please, please follow, follow me, follow me. You'll find this um, interesting. Let me talk a bit about my professional background because I've had the benefit of starting life as a medical doctor. People always ask me, how do you change from medicine to, to business? And, um, you know, I don't want to use up all my time. I would have told you that story, but let me just say one thing about it. I believe in destiny. You know, even though I was a medical doctor and I trained in medicine and I know medicine is a very noble profession. It's a calling. I, I respect doctors even till today. But something inside me told me that, like, you know, I, I belong to the world of business. I can't tell you what it is. That's why I say at times I believe I, I, I believe in business. But I moved from there, you know, to the firm of Arthur Anderson, which was um, an American accounting firm at the time that um, was uh, had just built practice in Nigeria. I was fortunate to join them, and then they trained me or retrained me, if I if you will, into a professional accountant. And it was from there that I went to Harvard Business School. And when I got to Harvard Business School, I then worked for the U.S. investment bank Goldman Sachs as part of my training there, you know, and eventually ended up, frankly, in investment management. And by the way, that's what brought me to South Africa in 1995. I came to South Africa the first time in 1994 and came to live in South Africa in 1995. And I lived there to the beginning of 1998. So I feel a connection to South Africa. I feel like, even though it's such a long time ago, I feel like I know South Africa because I was, you know, I lived there and, and to some degree, I would say I integrated. I, was, I became part of South Africa. Not all of it, but the part I lived in. And of course, I've gone on from, I've also served in government as a minister in my country. And therefore I've had the experience in public service. And finally, I am now spending a lot of time, you know, building things that hopefully will outlast us and I'll make a contribution to Africa, which is why I think this um, subject of building the new leadership for Africa is of um, particular interest to me. You know, having said that, let me, let me just um, say one more thing before I leave them. Um, my professional background. And it's just what I call the importance of wisdom. Wisdom garnered from who you spend time with, where you get trained. You know, Paul said in you know, the, 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 the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. I must say that like, you know, I have been humbled by the exposure God has given me to some of the great institutions in the world that have shaped my character, shaped my career. And honestly, it's, it's a gift, you know, and it's one that one should not only treasure, but also it should feel or, or, or propel one to want to give back. Which then takes me to really what I've been asked to talk about. But I give you this background because it's important to understand the, the, the forces or the factors that have shaped who I am. You know, and I would like to now talk about the role of integrity in God honoring businesses. Because you know, that's really what sets us apart. And it's something that like I am very passionate about. You know, and I start by you know, some famous quotes from famous men, you know. I call it key thoughts on values in the marketplace. You know, I talk about, you know, um, a professor of Harvard Business School, who's no longer with us, but he's one of the, you know, arguably one of the most um, brilliant professors that um, passed through the, 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 the um, Harvard Business School. But unfortunately, 
we lost him, I think last year or a couple of years ago, Professor Clayton Christensen. Some of you will know him, the one that wrote about disruption and, 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 and the role of disruption in creating the new world order. He had a, he had a quote that I would, like to, I would like to refer to. You know, and that quote goes this way, it says, decide what you stand for and then stand for it all the time. The world will test your values, but know what those values are and go public with them and stand for them all the time, be consistent. Warren Buffett, who even is not a Christian, which is why I, I will hesitate to call these Christian values, but there are values that underpin, um, you know, like um, Christian businesses in the marketplace. Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett says, in looking for people or in looking to hire people, I look for three qualities, integrity, number one, intelligence and energy. If they don't have integrity, the other two will kill you. In other words, if you hire people who don't have integrity, they're just looking for trouble. You know, and Abraham Lincoln, the great American president, you know, um, had this to say, and we quote it all the time, but it's interesting to know that it came from Abraham Lincoln. You can fool some of the people all the time, and all the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. And this is a quote I'm sure we're all familiar with, but it came from Abraham Lincoln. What about Will Rogers? Will Rogers had this to say. So you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. You know, let me now go on and talk about you know integrity from a biblical sense because you know I know I'm talking to an audience that has a you know a passion for Christ. You know, it's important to point out that integrity should be the cornerstone of God honoring businesses. You know, and the Bible says so, and I'll quote just a couple of verses. There are more on my presentation, but I'll just refer to two. One is from the wisdom book, book of Proverbs. Proverbs says in Proverbs 11:3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them, you know? And, and you know, Jesus tells you something about integrity, you know? And the other one that also we should keep in mind, this is God actually speaking to Solomon when Solomon was praying to me in the temples. And as for you, if you walk before me as David, your father, walk before me with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and rules, then I will establish your throne, you know? And this was actually the second time God also made the same point to Solomon when he appeared to him, when Solomon asked him for wisdom. He said, if you fear me, I'll give you long life, you know? And now he's gone further to say, I'll preserve your throne. You know, so I think integrity preserves life. Let me go on in the interest of time and to now talk about David and his approach to leadership. You know, David taught us a few things and I'll just quote one passage from the book of Psalms to illustrate what I call David's approach to transformational leadership. And I hope we'll all embrace this approach. In Psalm 78, verses 70 to 72, the Bible says, he also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following ewes that had young. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his people, meaning Jacob, and Israel, his inheritance. Verse 72, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his height and guided them by the, by the skillfulness of his hands. Now, what is this telling us? If you, if you break this passage down, there are three things you can take away from it. One is that David started from a personal transformation. He says he chose David, you know, and took him. So in other words, he discipled David first. And I believe that transformation always starts with personal transformation. You know, in order to lead other people, you have to lead yourself first. You have to, you have, to have self-discipline. You're going to be, you know, uh, uh, bring discipline to other people or bring direction to other people. And then he goes to, in the case of David, as he, he then talks about how David, you know, um, left from shepherding sheep 
to shepherding people, David's mighty man. You know the story of David in the cave and all that. He actually built a group of warriors just by, by training them based on the training he had received. And as you know, David ultimately then became, went on to national transformation, you know, by shepherding all, all of Israel, becoming the king of Israel. But it was a growth that went from personal to institutional or team to eventual national. And I think you can even go on to continental Africa because we're dealing with Africa-wide transformation here. Uh, but David is a good example for us that you, you take it one step at a time. That takes me to a quote from you know, um, a gentleman who is South African. Some of you might know him. He's a South African Christian apostle in the marketplace. You know, he used to live in Cape Town. I think now he lives in the United States. His name is Brett Johnson. He wrote a book called Convergence, Brett Johnson. I just take an excerpt from the book. Brett Johnson, his book Convergence says, your business is a great place to grow in faith. It is also an excellent place to find God at work, right? If you are faithful with your sheep, he may give you a nation to shepherd like he gave to David. You can develop both competence, which is skillfulness of hands or skillful hands and character, which is integrity of heart in your workplace. Many of us know the story of Lee Kuan Yew and Singapore. What some of us might not know that a lot of the people who transformed Singapore in the public service were Christians. You know, there were people who brought integrity to their work, you know, and I pray that we'll be those sort of people who will transform Africa out of our integrity also. You know, this then takes me to that very popular saying from the Bible, faith without works is dead. Many of us profess our faith, but we also have to practice our faith in the marketplace. As you know, the Bible tells us, I'm going to read from the Message Bible, a passage from James. It says, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of your faith, of the faith department and I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God? But then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful. That's just great. Demons do that, but what good does it do to them? Use your head or use your head. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? In other words, faith without works is dead. This is the message Bible, you know, referring to that passage in the Bible. You know, so I want to challenge us as Christians, you know, to bring our faith and our integrity to the marketplace. You know, I could spend a few moments talking about why do people tend to separate integrity and business? You know, some of the reasons we can adduce is the principle of delayed gratification. Some people want instant gratification, so they're not prepared to wait. There's a time to sacrifice, you know, and that's what integrity calls for. There's time to sow, there's a time to reap. For some other people, they just think nice people finish last. They don't want to be called Mr. Nice in the marketplace. They say Christians are nice. Well, how well do they do? You know? But you will see from some of the case studies I'll share that it actually pays to do things right. You know, I'll give you practical examples and I hope I can persuade you as I'm fully persuaded myself that bringing our faith and our integrity to the marketplace is absolutely solution to the societal problems we face, whether it's in South Africa or in Nigeria or Kenya or any part of Africa for that matter. And I believe that the potential of Africa will come through as we shine as Christians in the marketplace. Let me just share some thoughts on building integrity in our, into our businesses before I now move on. You know, one is that it's, like I said earlier, um, I think it was Christensen, Professor Christensen that said so, 
It's good to have clarity on your stand. Let people know what you stand for early. Don't say that when the situation arises, then it's too late. Just be proactive and preemptive in stating where you stand. Number two, run your own race. The Bible says they that compare themselves to themselves are not wise. You know, every one of us is uniquely and wonderfully made. The way the Bible puts it, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, we are an original. Don't try to be an imitation. You know, to thyself be true. Don't be overly concerned about what others are doing. You know, the race is a marathon, as, as we'll get to later, and you will eventually get there. You know, and then the other thing is build for the long term. Life is a marathon, like I said, it's not a 100-meter dash. Trade-off between short-term gain and long-term gain. Always err on the side of the long-term gain. Do things to succeed in the long haul. You know, and then I have a principle I learned from the world of finance called the margin of safety principle. In other words, don't cut things close to the edge. You know, if you want to be honest, be honest in a way that is quite, it's not like you're just trying to play the letter of the Bible, but not the spirit, you know? You know, be honest in spirit and in truth. You know, you know what, just, you know, have um, what I call a margin of safety. You know, whether it's in the friends you keep, you know, the word, the way you keep your word, you know, don't be somebody that is cutting it too close to the bone or too close to the edge, you know? And then finally, I'll say, as leaders, we have a responsibility to set the moral tone. As the saying goes, the fish rots from the head. You know, in other words, if the leadership is right, the rest will get it right eventually. I believe that that's a burden of leadership. And I hope you and I will accept that burden of leadership as leaders in Africa. Let me now talk briefly about some of the key attributes of godly leadership, just to drive this message home. Because there are benefits to godly leadership in the marketplace as well, in our businesses and in our countries and on our continent. One of them that I want to begin with is what I call the power of and, and this is where many of us get it wrong. So please listen to me carefully. You know, I think if you are going to achieve the benefits of godly leadership in the marketplace, you must master the power of the and. What I call the power of the and, number one, we must be beacon of light and beacon of prosperity. You know, the Lord spoke to me once, spoke to my heart many years ago, 2010, and said to me, you are looking for apostles in the marketplace. And I understood what he was saying. He was looking for people who can showcase that you can have both integrity and success in the marketplace. That is not either you are successful, you know, but then you cut corners all the time, you doubt all the time, or you are honest and you are, you know, a Christian, but then, you know, you don't really do well because somehow you are being crowded out. It's possible, you know, to have both. But the way you have both is what I'm going to talk about next. And Paul gave us that formula. I call it Paul's success formula in first. Corinthians 15.10, which I quoted earlier, I call it grace plus labor. You know, like you know, Paul said, by, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. In other words, when you combine God's grace, God's favor, God's open doors, God's answered prayers with diligence, you know, you seize the opportunity. You know, you, 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 know, you, you, you pay the price. You will succeed. You will answers prayers and you know that you know like the book outliers the story of success by malcolm gladwell said you know that like people who actually uh achieve what i call outlying or extraordinary success they combine a lot of um diligence with you know what you might call favor you know according to our faith or the world will call luck you know they ride their own luck you know and i pray that we as christians will also combine grace with labor and achieve um great success that takes me to the final point I'll make on this um, power of and, which is what I call character and competence. Like uh, Warren Buffett was saying, to combine integrity and intelligence, character and competence. 
We must avoid the either or fallacy. Integrity can go hand in hand with prosperity. You know, we must become apostles of righteousness in the marketplace. And I hope again, um, as I shared some case studies, you will agree with me. The other thing, the other attribute of godly leadership that I want us to embrace is, you know, just being willing to help other people succeed. You know, that is so important because, you know, I believe honestly that favor is for a purpose. I will again use uh, David as an example. The Bible says in two verses in the Bible, actually, that David realized that God had made him king for the sake of Israel. I think the Bible says this in, you know, either um, uh, Second Samuel chapter 5 or so, but also in the book of Chronicles. You know, but it said, you know, David came to a realization that his success was not just for his own personal aggrandizement or, or just for him and his family. In fact, as you know, when he indulged himself and his family, he came to disaster but it was for the greater good of society. And we must embrace this idea that God blesses us for a purpose. You know, even the so-called sociologists teach the same thing. If you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it starts from the hygiene factors and it just keeps going up all the way to achievement and recognition and, 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 and contribution, you know, which is at the top of that pyramid. You know, and I believe that God works in the same way. God wants us to succeed so that we can be a blessing to others. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose hearts. In other words, it's talking about, you know, just, you know, continue to be a blessing. You know, and there is also something called the Matthew effect. That Matthew effect came from the teaching, or sorry, the, the book by Malcolm Gladwell I mentioned earlier, you know, which is, you know, from the book of Matthew chapter 25, where it says, to those who have, more shall be given. So those who do not have, even the little they have can be taken away. Again, what this is talking about is that like, you know, at times you find that like, it looks as if those who are busy are getting busier. Those who are rich are getting richer. Those who have are getting more, you know? Uh, again, using a personal example, um, um, and this is a true story. Um, the, the gentleman who is the current vice president of Nigeria, Professor Yemio Shibajo, was a pastor of my church, you know, in Lagos. And I was one of the, you know, members of the church. At times he would ask me to preach. And then he suddenly won the election and was going to be vice president. One day I'd gone to congratulate him and we're coming back. And he told me, okay, you know what? You are the one going to become the pastor as I go to Abuja. I said to him, we call him Pastor Prof. I said, Pastor Prof, but you know, you know how busy I am. I'm the CEO of African Capital Alliance. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. He said, no, I want you to provide the spiritual leadership. I think you can do it. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how I became the pastor of my church, Olive Tree Parish, Redeemed Christian Church of God. You know, you know, and it was as if like my hands were already full. And then the story, if it ended there, would have been enough of, uh, you know, my, my plate would have been full. But guess what? This happened probably, let's say, in July, June, July 2015. By October 2015, I got a call from the president. I wanted to be a minister in my cabinet. So I was CEO of my firm, I was now a pastor, and I was now being asked to be a minister. Of course, this also talks about teamwork. I don't want to, you know, the only way this was possible, because eventually I had to accept that offer as well. And I went to Abuja then to serve. You know, we had to, of course, um, nominate other people from the church to the pastors, and we have had to carry that responsibility collectively as a team. But the point I'm trying to make is that God is looking for busy people. Those are the people he sends on assignments. And I pray that like you and I, you know, we'll be prepared to serve and God will use us more and more in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You know, and then I want to say again, we should be willing to recognize that like, it's all about 
God's favor. Favor is, you know, it's really when, when you look at life and the things that one has been able to achieve, whether it's you or myself, it's you will be hard pressed to take, you know, the credit personally. That's why I believe that like favor ultimately is of God. You know, if we're telling ourselves the truth. Let me now deal with these case studies I've referred to a lot. I want to use them to just bring the point I've made home because without examples, the power of examples, I'm sure this may not, this message may not, may not come home. You know, and now I'm looking at some case studies. You know, I want to start with some of the things I am doing now just to, to, to make sure that like, you know, we are really committed to this message that this conference is bringing to us, the message of to restore, to rebuild and to renew. You know, I told you I went to a secondary school called Government College Omaha. Government College Omaha was called then, back in the day, the Eton of the East. Eton is a famous public school in the, in the United Kingdom. It's arguably the leading um, um, school for boys between the ages of 13 and 18. That's where they prepare them for Oxford and Cambridge and life, right? You know, and because Nigeria was colonized by the British, they also built similar schools here when they came, just to train those they were used for leadership. One of those schools was Government College Omaha. And it started in 1929. I had the privilege of going there in the 70s. And by the time I went there, you know, you might, you might think that like he had started, he wasn't at his prime, but it was still a damn good school. It was a great school. You know, but you know, things really deteriorated after that. Today is a shadow of its old self. Old self. That's the school. I, you know, myself and some of the old boys who benefited from the school and got this great education subsequently, we have decided to come together you know, to rebuild and restore the school. And this September, as we start a new cycle of um, admissions for students, we have actually taken over the school, put it in a trust, and we are funding it ourselves and rebuilding this college so that it will become again that great secondary school it was that produced people who could go on, you know, to the best universities in the world and serve in the cabinet of the country and so on. Because we must give back, you know, to the institutions that built us into who we are. So that's an example. I'm also involved in education in under, you know, very um, stretch assignment or what you might call a big, you know, um, hairy audacious goal type assignment. We decided that we're going to build, you know, a world-class university for science and technology in Africa. You know, I was part of an Aspen fellowship, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, where they asked us to come up with a project that would be transformative in Africa. You know, and a number of us said, we looked at what happened in India. In India, they have this India, Institutes of Technology, and they now have some for management as well. If you go and look at people like the CEOs of Google, Microsoft, all those, all those Indians, they were trained by a school called IIT, it's a group of colleges or universities in India, you know, and people promoted those universities. The government was involved, but it's trained a lot of engineers and people in the STEM education field in India. And in Africa, we actually don't have any university that you could say is world-class, like an MIT standard. So we've taken on the assignment to say we're going to build the MIT of Africa. And because we wanted to start in Nigeria, I wanted Nigerian corporates to support it. We initially said the first one will be built in Nigeria, called the Nigeria University of Technology and Management. And then we want to build it across Africa, just like IIT is in India. You know, the good news is that effort already has um, taken off. Uh, we decided to start with a fellowship, a scholars program for one year to test our model. Because the model is to bring some of the best professors from around the world bring, you know, um, world-class students, you know, people who have done their first degree and immerse them in quality education, in technology, entrepreneurship and design. We're calling them the AUTM scholars. And it's actually being funded and sponsored partly by the MasterCard Foundation and a number of us, you know, and I'm glad that has taken off in Lagos. And right now it's about to graduate its first group of 
I think 57 scholars or so, you know, who will go on to, you know, change the world. And we are going to be graduating that, um, those scholars every year. And in addition, we are now building out what we hope will be the MIT of Africa. By the way, we have professors, African professors from MIT, from Stanford, from, you know, Worcester Polytechnic Institute supporting this effort. We're in discussions with the Harvard Business School, Oxford University, you know, um, um, University of Pennsylvania, and so on. Just world-class universities to partner with us to build this uh, world-class um, set of universities in Africa. These are the kind of transformative things we want to do. And I believe that like we can, we can do more of them. I made reference to um, apostles in the marketplace earlier. Ndidi Muneli, who I think will speak to you at some point, in if she hasn't done so already. And I belong to something called apostles in the marketplace. And this was our own attempt to say that we must bring our Christianity to the marketplace. You know, we have to take Christian values to our work in the marketplace. And we meet mostly on Saturdays, you know, a network of Christian uh, professionals in the, or Christians in the marketplace. And we do training for young Christians, you know, how to um, acquire, you know, practice godly values in the marketplace. And also uh, we do something called Change Agents Academy, you know, which is basically trying to prepare people to be change agents in society. But again, it's an example of trying to uh, make sure that we are, we, are, we are making an impact in the marketplace. You know, and I will just use two more examples before, before I go on to begin to conclude. You know, I also told you that I served in the government at the cabinet level. One of the things that helped me to serve is that some of the Christians who are my friends rallied around me and they started something called standing in the gap prayer meeting once a month. You know, because people ask me, how did you make it through Abuja and the government and you weren't corrupted by it? You know, you came back and, you know, you're either the same or perhaps even, you know, more committed, you know, to the faith and to, and to the values. Part of it is prayer, the power of prayer. You know, people stood in the gap with me. People were standing in the gap. As the Bible says in a, I think it's in Ezekiel 22, 30. He said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and I found none. That's a tragedy. That's a monumental tragedy. May it never be said of us that God sought for people to pray for this new Africa, for this impact we want to make, because we must combine it with prayer. You know, prayer changes things and we must bring God into it. Somebody said, when we walk, we walk. When we pray, God walks. We must bring in the God work into the, because it's such a big audacious thing we're trying to do that humanly speaking is impossible but with god all things are possible i would like to conclude my presentation to you on my speech without talking about the great mentor i had you know a gentleman from the united states of america who came to start Arthur Anderson in nigeria his name was richard kramer dick kramer dick had a huge influence on me and several other professionals, right? Because he came and mentored us, which is why we must commit to mentoring other people because we have been mentored by those who went before us. You know, and Dick came to Nigeria in 1978. You know, I told you I originally studied medicine. It was because of Dick and Arthur Anderson. They mentored me in that change to a business career. They took me on, a young doctor, you know, and retrained me completely. You know, I eventually had to do the professional exams to be an accountant and all that, but the real training was in Arthur Anderson under the leadership and mentorship of Dick. You know, and Dick had some sayings that I'd like to share with us. One of them was that if you have a success formula and you apply it long enough, you will succeed, particularly in Africa. You know, at times people say things are impossible here, but he says, first have a formula that is a success formula, like the ones we've talked about today, and then just apply it long enough, be consistent, what we call the power of compound interest. Doing the right thing day in, day out will produce results, you know, my brothers and my sisters, 
gentlemen and ladies, or ladies and gentlemen, sorry, you know, who produce the right results. You know, and I want to tell us that, like, you know, like the saying goes, and this was a, from the book Jim Collins, you know, uh, good to great. First who, then what? First who, then what? You know, if you invest in the people and they become great, you know, like um, disciples of Christ and, and, and apostles in the marketplace, will be, go on to build great missions, great businesses, and frankly, a great Africa. And I honestly believe that the 21st century is the African century. And I'm so happy that we're having, you know, um, um, meetings like this, uh, platforms like this, like the one convened by Ziwani, where we can come together and talk about how working together, we can build the Africa of our dreams based on Christian ethos and values, based on principles that are time honored and tested, and based on, you know, being the light in society. You know, so as I conclude, let me conclude with this following thought. Africa, including our economy and the marketplace, is going through an important transition. You know, it's not just because of the African Continental Free Trade Area of Agreement and, you know, the, the recent pandemic and all the things, but Africa itself, you know, is going through a rebirth. And I honestly believe that we can make an impact, both as individuals and collectively as business leaders and as organizations. You know, and now is the time to stand up to be counted. And I hope that, you know, having listened to me, you will accept my call to action. You know, I am ready to partner with you to build the Africa of our dreams. Thank you very much for listening. And God bless you all.